This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Network. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Network does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the 2018 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 13 years. Today's episode brings you defense and homeland cloud computing and government. Here's your host, Luke McCormack. Good afternoon and welcome to this month's show. I'm Luke McCormack. During today's show, we will discuss progress being made with cloud computing at the Department of Defense and the Department of Homeland Security. With me on today's show are Frank Kinesny, Chief Technology Officer, U.S. Air Force. Shane Barney, Deputy Chief Information Security Officer, USCIS, and Acting Chief Information Security Officer. Travis Medvin, Director of U.S. Commercial Cloud Services. John Talon, Principal at Deloitte. A.J. Laforte, Principal Account Manager, BMC Software. And Lori Davis, Vice President of Public Sector. Well, this is a big subject. It's a fast-moving subject. And the scene has really been set, right? We have OMB that went from a cloud-first strategy to now a cloud-smart strategy. We've got some decent NIST guidelines out there. OMB is kind of loosening up and giving us some direction, saying, hey, directionally, we want you to go in this direction uh, in regards to some of the policy. I'm thinking about TIC, and I'm thinking about things like Einstein. And, you know, uh, there's, uh, there's capability out there like Zero Trust. We discussed that in one of the prior shows. Uh, and a lot of cloud technology that's enabling a lot of this with the various partners. We have two fantastic departments here that are leading the charge. Frank, let's start with you at U.S. Air Force. Um, tell us a little bit about what's the state of the state and the progress being made as far as cloud technology and the adoption in the Air Force. Well, <clears throat> well of course, you know, we've been moving out for software as a service for a while. Mm -hmm. We have two of those already firmly established. In fact, we're probably going to have the entire Air Force on the office cloud environment uh, by the end of the year. That's, that's the plan. Wow. So we'll see how that works. Uh, besides that, though, we also are moving applications, of course, as we go to the various clouds, commercial clouds. But I think the big deal right now is that we're looking at DevOps and the way we want to move DevOps out. So, for instance, we have Kessel Run. Kessel Run was a, a pilot project. Basically, it uses containers and everything to actually automatically move things into the cloud and give an ATO for that particular piece of software almost immediately after it moves to the cloud. I heard at a fraction of the time. Yes, and it works really well. And the way we did it is we basically looked at what tool sets were actually there and used that in an automated way to actually determine what the, the, the RMF requirements were and document those RMF requirements automatically. And besides that, besides doing more work in terms of um, software, fact <coughs> software factories and everything else that we're trying to get to, we're also doing a lot of data analytics now in the cloud. And we're moving lots of data to the cloud and starting to use that as a particular platform that we want to actually uh, get some utility out of. And we're doing that not only for cyber, we're also doing it for engine maintenance, we're also doing it for target recognition. Right, a lot of data, a lot of storage, and uh, a lot of costs there. And we we'll probably have somebody here that can talk a little bit about sort of what's emerging in that market. Uh, but let's go over to uh, Navy. Travis, what's happening at the Navy? Uh, a lot of activity going on there in the commercial cloud. I see that out in the press. So what's <laughs> yeah. happening? Uh, actually, there's, a, there's quite a bit going on. Yeah. Uh, uh, we had a fairly successful uh, FY18, created a lot of uh, enablement and uh, a lot of foundational activities. Uh, what we really wanted to get into in, in FY19 was is looking at more at portfolio alignment, portfolio management, and uh, 
we've, we've taken some cues from the Air Force and looked at a lot of software def, uh, factories and how we're doing that. Obviously, Kessel Run, we went out and visited that. Um, huge success. A huge success. Yeah. Uh, what we're trying to, to uh, work real hard this year is on our software factory, bringing ships and shores close together. So our FAMs and our resource sponsors and the portfolio owners of those uh, applications have done a great job of aligning what the not only their business areas are, but also what the mission objectives are, and how we can align those both ship and shore, so it it becomes seamless to the to the sailors and the warfighters that would be either deploying on ships or need the information back on uh, shore-based platforms. So it's with the same mindset of trying to reduce the the burden of whether it's uh, RMF accreditation, whether it's um, reuse of uh, microservices and, and how we look at containers, but we're really doing a, a push this year to make sure that we look at platform and getting to more of a platform environment for all of our applications. Uh, one of our big successes is we just awarded our contract, uh, our BPA, our five-year BPA that, that is uh, leveraging GSA Schedule 70. So we're trying to get as close as we can to buying commercial as it's sold. Uh, that's gonna enable uh, the, I think, uh, I don't want to overuse transformational, but it's going to allow us to, to transform how we procure services and how we decouple applications to primarily reside or, or start to leverage more service-based. Congratulations for pulling that off. And I think that is really cool, you know, sort of buy, buying what the market is offering and sort of staying in touch and plugged into these emerging capabilities and offerings as they become available. So you're not a one-off snowflake, as everyone likes to call it, right? You can really just stay on the, uh, on the curve. Uh, well, if you're going to do multi-vendor environments, you have to manage these things. AJ, how about at BMC? What's happening over there, and, and how are you uh, helping these agencies sort of keep it all uh, managed? Yeah, we um, at BMC, a lot of people know BMC for Remedy uh, for that Ooh. solution. And one of the neat things about what's going on there is we already offer a FedRAMP moderate solution uh, there for our customers to consume. We're actually moving that solution, if people haven't heard, to FedRAMP high status. Uh, we've already started. Wow. We've already gotten approvals. Is that uh, breaking news right here it, on the? It's, uh, uh, yeah. It was <laughs> announced just la it was announced just last month Excellent. that we're moving it to FedRAMP High. Mm -hmm. So we are Good. going to be offering that out to uh, all of our consumers to s consume that as a service at a FedRAMP High level. Um, we've also noticed a lot of consumers who are in the DoD space moving to AWS and Azure, experiencing higher levels of costs than they're expecting. Uh, as they're consuming these things. And what we've done is we've developed and released a, an, another solution called Cloud Cost Control. And the whole purpose of this is for us to allow our, our DOD brethren to be able to identify what a service costs to run inside of AWS versus on-prem versus Azure, and be able to ensure that they are looking at actually application modernization and being able to be able to minimize the cost as low as possible. If a service is only being used from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. on an Eastern time, let's only run the service while it's being consumed and let's scale it down while it's not being used. Right, I mean these developers love this sort of all-you-can-consume capability, uh, but there is a cost to that, right? Yeah. And I think everyone, uh, early adopters have figured that out and there needs to be some metering in there so that they can uh, tune that and, uh, and get a little bit more efficient. John, how about over at Deloitte? I know you guys have a pretty good perspective about what's going on in these two agencies, along with a breadth of activity that's going across these various communities. Can you give us some perspective about what you're seeing there? Yeah, and to add to what Frank and Travis both said, what the cloud can really enable you to do is bring speed to delivery of capability. 
and higher levels of security. And when agencies really focus on speed, capability, and security, they're able to bring things that they've never been able to do to the warfighter. And so an example of a program that we're working on for um, the Secretary of Defense, uh, we were actually introduced to a video gaming company by a uh, venture capital firm in California, and we were able to repurpose that technology that ran on a commercial cloud in order to run simulations. And so now the Department of Defense is able to look at a city or look at an area and simulate what would happen in different scenarios in real time. And that was a capability. You, you could see immediately how it was useful, but that was a capability that the Department of Defense didn't have before, and it didn't take us years to put this in. We saw the software. It ran on a platform that had commercial parity that the DOD had access to, and we were able to put that on and get to work, and it wasn't a you know, a huge cost in terms of our delivery. So we were there quickly. It was a secure solution, and it gave them something they haven't seen before. And the ability to get to that computing, I was at a, a large AI conference uh, last week, and they were showing some of the statistics of the computing that's available now. It's just absolutely phenomenal what you can do and just turn these problem sets upside down. Uh, Shane, how about at uh, USCIS? You guys are really leading the charge uh, across the department over there in regards to early adoption and mature adoption of the various cloud technologies. What's the state of the state these days? So, you know, US, <coughs> excuse me, USCIS, uh, like you said, we started very early into the cloud, um, much earlier than most, and uh, that, that created some interesting uh, dynamics, I guess sure. you could say. Uh, we learned a lot very quickly. Uh, that's, that was the one thing we took out of that. Um, starting as early as we did, we, we had to kind of blaze some trails that we weren't well defined out for federal space at that point um, in Amazon and in other cloud environments. Now, as we've kind of matured and got better at what we're doing, uh, there's better policy, uh, better guidance that is coming along. Now what we're seeing is the ability to leverage multi-cloud environments, which is something that was very challenging prior. Um, you know, the, the ability to do tick overlays, uh, the ability to leverage those technologies to our advantage. The, the big initiative within USCIS now is e-processing, which is to fully make the immigration process stem to stern completely electronic and no more paper. Um, that's a big, big challenge. Um, cloud enables that. Uh, and we are using heavy cloud to, to in order to enable that. Uh, and it relies on not just one single cloud environment, but multiple environments to support. Um, and as we drive heavily towards that with a pretty condensed timeline, they're, they're shooting for December of 2020. Um, that's not that's a, that's something that we've always talked about doing. You know, throw the way you throw the way throw the word around transformation. Um, you know, it's kind of a in the federal space that's sometimes not the best word to use. But um, you know, honestly, we we really are transforming the immigration system. I'm going to use the little T of transformation uh, and, and really pushing uh, the envelope in terms of how. You know, we go from a very heavy paper-based uh, kind of driven process to something that's fully electronic um, and enabled that in large part is it being enabled by cloud environments. Yeah, quite frankly, I would call it a big T. And, uh, you know, people like to I say uh, learn, fail fast, and I like to say learn fast. I think a lot of what you all have done in blazing the trails informed a lot of these policy decisions, not only in, in Department of Homeland Security, but at OMB, et cetera, who's really taking uh, the, the lead in regards to re reconstructing these. Lori, how about at, uh, at Wasabi's technology? I'm sure you're seeing a lot of uh, explosion of storage out there in regards to these requirements. Mm -hmm. uh, where does Wasabi fit into that, and uh, what are you seeing from your perspective? 
Sure, thank you so much. Um, so with Wasabi, what we are doing is commoditizing cloud storage, right? Mm -hmm. Really reducing the costs so that the agencies can actually put their money back to mission, so that they can do more with less money, right? So store all the data, not just some of it, because as we've seen with artificial intelligence, with all the new technologies coming on, with IoT, with full motion video, um, there's a lot of data. But if it's cost prohibitive, the, the agencies just aren't going to store it, right? So at Wasabi, that's our goal. We're actually looking at cloud 2.0, right? Amazon's been around for 12 years now. Okay. Right? So we're looking at this, and actually for the progress in cloud, as you look at it, a lot of things are happening in the industry, not just with Wasabi, but with all of them. You're seeing uh, GPUs giving you much more processing power. You're seeing more elasticity commoditization, reducing costs, all of this is really, really good for the government to start reducing all of that. Um, in addition, one of the things we're seeing is the fear factor is dwindling. Right? A couple of years ago, people were more afraid to go to the cloud because of security concerns, information sharing concerns. Um, that's starting to go away, which is really good. And I think everybody knows, and you know, AG was just saying about BMC, some of the things that they're doing. So vendors, technology vendors are shifting and moving and improving as well as the government starts utilizing more and more cloud. Right. And it's really good to see. I thought about sort of the security risk of, of moving into a cloud environment. And I think that's now, interestingly, over a couple of short years, it's more of a security risk to not go into a cloud environment. I think the verdict is sort of out on that right now. Uh, well, we always like to talk about specific programs. Travis, let's start with you at Navy. Can you give us a, uh, a specific program that you guys are focusing on? Uh, yeah. uh, that you'd like to highlight? I, I think uh, My Navy Portal, um, which is... Uh, what is that, My Navy Portal? My okay. Navy Portal. Um, it was one of the early adopters. It was the first uh, level four application the Navy had in commercial cloud. Um, the success factor is it's, it's sailors uh, are looking at it for advancement cycles, and so we needed the ability to scale quickly. And that was our first lesson, as Lori mentions, with elasticity. Um, so we see these peak demands during advancement cycles and, and, and it was basically we couldn't scale fast enough in a private data center. Mm -hmm. So getting to commercial cloud and allowing the, the actual scalability of this, it actually, we, we saw the performance and it was our first real good news story of, of how we could leverage commercial technology. We could scale it and allow the mission set to, to be successful because um, it, it, it was just, it was challenging um, in, in a, a private data center where we, we just, we couldn't meet the demands, we couldn't meet the needs, and, and it, was, it wasn't just always um, bandwidth or, or compute capacity, but it was uh, just the overall experience, the user experience. We still had to maintain business operations with it, but we also needed to scale during advancement cycles, during promotion boards, yeah. just to kind of get those good and news really stories. Aha moment, yeah. right? And you realize that, oh boy, a lot of this capability can just be taken off the table so that you can really focus on up the value chain. Uh, John, how about over at Deloitte? Can you give us uh, an example of a specific program that uh, uh, you'd like to highlight for the uh, listening audience? Yeah, so I think TSA is doing a really good job at kind of learning from the lessons at USCIS, learning from the lessons of their own kind of technological journey to put together some really innovative programs for their mission. 
So uh, a recent or a program that is coming out is the TSA FAST program, and it's going to be a broad-based modernization program for their technology infrastructure and applications. And they've done some, you know, really specific things in that to give them flexibility in terms of what they buy, access to good platforms, and it, it, they've, you know, really thought through the procurement model and looked at kind of lessons across the government and put together a solution that's very, very elegant and I think is going to serve them well for how they advance. And, you know, they'll be able to, you know, their, their um, adversaries aren't sitting still, right? They're innovating and they're pulling in new solutions and new techniques and tactics. And TSA is going to have the technology tools through that program to really be quick and responsive yeah, to how they change. fast-moving area, right? And and Shane, fast, how about so it's aptly named. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shane, how about at uh, USCIS? Uh, you've got several different cloud uh, activities going on yep. there. Can you highlight one program that uh, you're really adopting a lot of this capability? I think the one that, uh, that comes to mind most recently, um, actually we just ATO'd it yesterday, uh, is the content management system. The backbone of any of our, of our things is to manage the content, be it different types of uh, data, you know, different types of information that's provided by people seeking immigration benefits. Um, all that has to be stored, cataloged, processed, and made available to the various and the sultry systems. Well, as a challenge to any federal agency is the concern over data spills. Um, be just privacy information all the way up to classified. Now, cloud has not really, federal space has not done a great job of defining out a method for dealing with that. Um, well, we've created one and got it approved all the way up through the classified levels um, so that we can actually not only ensure that we have the content available for our systems, but we can do so in a secure way that we can also guarantee that if something does happen, some sort of data spill that has to be cleaned up, something we have to secure and manage appropriately, we can do so. And, and do, do it in a way that doesn't jeopardize the overall immigration system. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that, you know, that is really, that was a lot of work. I, I, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, there was a lot of approvals that had to go into that. We had to seek IC approval. We had to seek um, different levels within DHS approval because it was really blazing that trail to try to establish that program because it's, it's, it is a hurdle that all federal agencies are going to have to face at some point. We found that solution. NIST does provide some guidance using cryptographic erasure and some other solutions, um, but put, putting that all together and putting it together in a cloud environment, that presents some fairly interesting challenges, both on not just the implementation side, but also on the security side. How do you ATO that? How do you ensure that you're actually ensuring the, uh, both the security and the integrity of the system as well as the information it contains? So uh, to me, that's that is a huge success on our part. Big success um, and a combination very, of both sort of you it. know uh, leveraging the IC and and uh, leveraging the uh, uh, the rest of the market, right? In regards to that type of capability, it's a very unique situation there. Uh, well, we're gonna um, take a short break, and we'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. New cloud technologies and directives are challenging tech strategies every day. Multi-cloud, native applications, and network transformation are redefining the future of effective cloud management. Deloitte helps you right-size your cloud to get maximum value today and stay ahead of what's to come. For more on how to successfully map your own individual cloud journey with a variety of options from Deloitte's cloud offerings for government and the public sector, visit Deloitte.com slash U.S. slash Federal Cloud. The U.S. federal government is constantly working on ways to track, manage, and lower IT costs in the cloud. Visibility to application costs across both traditional data centers and public cloud infrastructures is key. 
Learn how BMC's TrueSight Cloud Cost Control can compare the costs of on-premises and multiple cloud platform providers and help determine which best fits your needs and budget at bmc.com slash public dash sector. That's bmc.com slash public dash sector. Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage makes storing data in the cloud not just an alternative, it makes it a priority. Revolutionary storage technology that's radically cheaper and faster than traditional options like Amazon S3 allows you to reallocate your data storage budget to other projects and initiatives. And you can do it knowing that your data is being stored with the highest security and protection available. Learn more and even see for yourself with a free trial at wasabi.com. That's wasabi.com. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. With me on today's show are Frank Canessi, Chief Technology Officer, U.S. Air Force, Shane Barney, United States Immigration Service, Travis Mathen, uh, U.S. Navy, John Talen, Deloitte, A.J. Laforte, BMC Software, and Lori Davis with Wasabi Technologies. We're talking about cloud computing in the Defense Department, cloud computing in Homeland Security, and uh, Lori, we're going to throw it over to you and talk about a specific program uh, that you can highlight that uh, would be of interest to the uh, listening audience. There have been so many interesting programs talked about um, in this room already. Uh, one of one interesting thing I think that is happening is the hybrid cloud, right? So private cloud as well as using public cloud. And some of the things Wasabi is working on, and um, please remember we're very new in this space. The company's only been doing business for about a year. Wow, okay. So um, some of the agencies we're talking to are um, on the forefront, right, uh, w with our storage capabilities. Um, but there are many use cases out there, some specific ones, uh, I'm not gonna actually name the agencies, but um, you'll probably figure it out, uh, that um, using lots of imaging, right? Whether it's from body cams, right. whether it's from uh, UAS feeds. Huge storage requirements Huge now. storage yeah. requirements. Um, these agencies also have invested a lot in their um, private clouds. So we are actually uh, proposing private vaults of Wasabi storage for them in their own data centers. And we can do this as cost-effectively as we can in our public data centers as well. So there, there are several within the government who are looking at that to add the capabilities for their hybrid clouds being private and public as well. And I think those are very, very interesting, um, especially with the private vault, what we can do. Uh, we were talking earlier about the security, right? You can truly harden uh, that private vault for any level of classification uh, and then utilize the public vault for other things that don't require that level of security. Yeah, I mean, this hybrid environment, you've got to be able to manage that. Everyone wants to have a multi-cloud kind of environment, mm -hmm. uh, but multi-cloud brings on a lot of comp complexity and, of course, hybrid, you know, nobody's going to get away from some of their anchor, uh, you know, legacy environments, at least for any time soon. So that's, uh, mm -hmm. that's interesting and very important to uh, to have this type of technology that enables that. Frank, I'm sure you've got lots of examples. Give us an example, maybe specifically, of one program that you guys are focused on. I know you talked about Kessel Run. Maybe there's others. Maybe you want to talk about more about what Kessel Run is no, doing or Kessel no, Run 2.0. I mean, Kessel Run is, is cool. We all know that. I mean, you know, so target recognition is also the other one, Project Maven. I know you've all heard of that one before, but I'm going to give you another one, Air Force Connect. Air Force Connect is a 
BYOD app that has just been released. Basically, it uses a collaboration platform and brings in information, the PA level information for all the wings that are actually PA. What's that? Public affairs. Okay. Public affairs information that is that the wings have already developed applications for. It's linking all the applications together now in a cloud environment to actually display what's going on in each of the wings. It only goes even farther than that. It has some capabilities that we added uh, based on airmen requirements for actually looking at their own PI data. Now, this is interesting because it is a BYOD application that allows airmen to look at their PI data. <laughs> and we did it in such a way that we give them a cat card reader for that because some of the applications require a cat card reader, but also we have a special way of actually doing that for them and understanding what they're doing. So this is, this is opening up the, the field for collaboration across the Air Force now in terms of a BYOD portal that we never had before, at least to uh, get out the point of what public affairs wants everybody to see. It also has a spouses portal as well because we have a spouses club from the Air Force, and they are actually using it also. And so it's going to be enlarged for the PA version of this, even bigger, and then we're actually going to get to a BYOD portal to actually do this from the other applications as well. So that's, that's what we're doing right now. That's a pilot. We have to make a final decision of uh, sustainment in February, but we've gotten a lot of support already from the Secretary. And this was part of AFWorks. Tell you, it was an AFWorks project that was an innovative project that was uh, proposed by an airman to actually do this, and so it's actually being implemented now. And I love it. It's fantastic that you know what, what these examples that we're using are business apps. We're not talking about lift and shift and just sort of taking advantage of the computing. We're actually talking about enabling you know the business through this you know these features and capabilities that the cloud has to offer. AJ, how about at BMC? Uh, can you give us an example of specific? Yeah. Um, program that you guys may be working on. I know we're, we're talking about DOD, so, so hear me through on this. We're currently doing, uh, doing work with USDA's National Information Technology Center. Um, mm -hmm. And we're actually, they provide a FedRAMP moderate approved data center for on-prem hosting, as well as AWS Azure uh, hosting for both DOD consumers and for civilian agencies. So USDA is doing this, and they're doing it with a lot of different BMC technology, along with technology from other vendors. And what, what the neat thing is, is it's a white glove solution that USDA, USDA has to allow different DOD agencies the ability to be able to shift things, either lift and shift things into the cloud, or assist them with application modernization by looking at things as business services and or technical services. So if we break things down instead of trying to say, I want to move this entire program or this entire solution over, it's let's break it down to let's tie down individual services that you're hosting and lift and shift them either into an on-prem hosted cloud or into an AWS or Azure. And that's really, you know, what USDA is doing is helping a lot of DOD agencies do some chunking capability of moving things into uh, different cloud technologies, whether it be an AWS container or whether it be an on-prem hosted um, facility to be able to actually host all of those assets. Wow, that's fascinating. Who would have ever thought? It's like sort of like that strangling method, right, of appealing these capabilities off and uh, 
and uh, running in these dual environments. Shane, how about over at USCIS? We like to talk about lessons learned. I know you have a lot of them. Um, um, no, maybe some as, a, as, a, <laughs> as a, an early adopter, you know, things that uh, the community should be thinking about as they're moving through this. Uh, it just amazes me how you guys continue to keep blazing this trail. That last example was just incredible. So, uh, yeah, I, one of the things I always like to say, um, and, it, and it, especially when people I've had a lot of, I've helped a lot of federal agencies make that leap. And the first thing I try to explain to them is, listen, cloud is just flat out different. It, you do not compare it to your data centers. You do not compare it to bricks and mortar. It, 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 there's no comparisons. Um, you know, because what you can do in cloud is not even comparable to what you would have in a data center or your, you know, your land room downstairs. Um, and, and you have to develop a mindset around that. Um, and, and, and for me, as on the security side, that really hits home. Um, because the way you secure cloud is wholly different um, than what we would do in a data, traditional data center kind of based application. Um, you know, your, your, your environment is different, your physical security requirements are going to be different. Um, you know, and believe it or not, you still do have physical security requirements. Um, people like to think that you don't, but you do. Um, and not only that, you have to start thinking a little bit broader and a little bit more differently in terms of the risks and threats that, that, that represent or, or potentials for your systems. Um, you know, we've, we've so knock on wood, have not had any significant incidents that has caused us any, any great headache, but we've had some close calls. And from those close calls, you know, the first thing we learned is, you know what, you've got to have experts. Um, and, and you really do have to have experts in each of the various cloud environments. You cannot compare Google, Azure, and, and Amazon and just assume they're all the same. Oh, they're cloud, therefore they're the same. No, they're not. Um, and in fact, just because you have really great SMEs in Amazon does not mean those SMEs are transportable over to Google or transportable over to Azure. Um, they're, just, they're just not. So one of the things that we have to start developing and we have started developing is expertise in those cloud environments. If you truly want to realize a multi-cloud environment, you got to develop the expertise. That's and that's a it's workforce an, an, problem. important, yeah, to think about the workforce aspect of that when you're making that multi-cloud decision. It's a huge decision. element to it, huge uh, element. Lori, how about at uh, Wasabi? I'm sure with this emerging technology, there's some lessons learned that you guys have discovered and it's probably why you guys developed some of this technology, mm -hmm. so. Absolutely. Um, one of the lessons learned was from the past 12 years, our, our co-founders um, had previously developed another technology for storage. You might be familiar, it's a company called Carbonite. Um, so oh, yeah. yeah, so it's the backup and archive uh, uh, system. They looked at that and said, how can we do this again, building it from scratch, but make it faster, uh, make it more efficient, make it use uh, the current technology that's out there. Um, and that's what they did. So from their lessons learned, they were able to commoditize storage, as I've mentioned uh, a couple times here, but being able to use more of the disk, right? So that's how we can get our storage costs down as far as we do. So the lessons learned were apply new technology to today's issues for that. And um, I think you know everybody will agree, right, faster, uh, more widely available, commoditized is better, especially in a, a government environment. Sure, and it's less expensive, so mm -hmm. there's no, it's, uh, the, yeah. always a, a great interest there. Mm -hmm. Frank, how about at U.S. Air Force? I know uh, with all these trails that you've been blazing, these various early adoptions, you've got to have a lot of lessons learned there to, like, uh, to share with the uh, community. The first, first one, of course, is understand the problem and determine what data center or cloud it should be put in. If you need GPUs, you have to put them someplace special. If you 
don't, yeah. you, you got to do it somewhere else. And so that's that's first thing. You have to figure out where you want to where you want to post your application or your your environment that you want to use. Second is try not to be uh, locked in a particular cloud. I mean, we're trying to actually move between clouds as necessary mm -hmm. because resiliency aspect says if something happens, I want to move. Now that's messy when you think about the data that you ask also move, and so we're talking about a hybrid environment you may have to have where the data exists in one environment and they feed off of the processing environment as multiple clouds attached to it. So you have to look at the problem space all the time and figure out what is the best way of doing this. And then of course you have to look at your budget. <coughs> this is always the killer. How do you budget for this particular environment that you're living in? I mean, that's people underestimate the budget all the time. They underestimate the migration cost because you have to also, while you're migrating, also test it and also maintain the old environment as well as the new environment. Think about the training costs involved, with, especially if the new environment uh, has changed. And so you have to play that one as well. And the last one is uh, when you're looking at a uh, platform, what kind of platform you need, microservices in the like particular a Docker platform. You got to think about how you're going to share the microservices across multiple applications. People don't think about that, but that's basically why you want microservices so you can share it. But then you have to think about the security of those applications, those microservices as well. So there's lots of things that we look at and say, here, here's the total environment that I have to look at now when I want to move anything out there. And that's probably the lesson learned is that people underestimate the amount of work that you actually need to do to understand uh, what you have to do before you actually move. Yeah, a lot of capability, a lot of choices, and uh, but you have to manage all that capability, right? Yeah. Uh, John, uh, how about at over at Deloitte? I'm sure you've got some lessons learned as you're helping these uh, various agencies adopt this emerging technology. So Deloitte isn't a cloud service provider. We're a consultancy or a services firm, so we're largely based on people. So from my perspective, I'll add to Shane's point. Um, and that is the intersection of the qualified or expert cloud people in the clearances is tough to find. And in the early stages of a cloud journey, that can become actually the constraining um, point for progress, the availability of a top secret cleared Azure architect or a TSSCI cleared mm -hmm. AWS architect mm -hmm. is challenging. I mean, at Deloitte, we have thousands of these people in the commercial marketplace, but the pool of those people and the timelines to get the clearances is long. So, you know, what happened at the agency initially is when they awarded the C2S construct, you were either having to retrain people with the clearance on the AWS technology, so they were a little more nascent and didn't have that really deep expertise, or you were having to put people in the security clearance process that were from another industry and bring them in. And getting ahead of that challenge and really making a concentrated effort to strategically plan your workforce to get ready for these journeys um, is really important to get rid of the early adoption constraints. And I think we're going to see a very similar um, issue when JEDI is awarded. So no one knows what that platform is going to be, so it's kind of hard to prep the expertise. So you've got to take a kind of a broader net to get the people ready to serve the yeah, DoD. It's interesting to see this, uh, hear this conversation about the level of maturity sort of through the security, the shoot through the uh, should we adopt this, and it's really about, you know, the industrial capacity to absorb this capability. Uh, Travis, how about at U.S. Navy uh, can you give us some lessons learned there uh, on your uh, early adoption journey? 
Um, I think I think what highlights everybody's been highlighting so workforce development and where we're going to find the, the the folks to actually do it. Um, we saw this when everybody in my we went to IP. Everybody we started going after the same group of people. We were all trying to leverage the same contract, same group of people. So we were robbing Peter to pay Paul. How do we create an environment where we where we develop a workforce where we start to get some not only the, the, the technologists and the engineers, but what we also need is, is the, the three O communities, the lawyers, the, the business units, the contract writers, because they all have to be brought up to speed as well on how we're trying to buy commercial services. Um, so we'd be remiss if we just talked about just the engineering aspect of it, because we're asking everybody in the stack, the warfighters, the engineers, the developers, everybody to think about doing things in a different way and we don't talk a lot about the business aspect of it and and getting those lawyers to understand what T's and C's means for commercial cloud companies getting different contract officers to understand that and be comfortable with those T's and C's could change on an hour-to-hour day-to-day and and what impact that actually has to a contractor what that risk profile is of that contract Um, and we and, and I highlight this because we went through that with our BPA and trying to understand that. And we, how we used to buy IT is not how we're going to buy IT tomorrow. And it's definitely not how we're going to buy IT probably in three to five years. As, uh, as John highlighted with, um, with Jedi coming down, we're all going to be learning and evolving. And so we just have to make sure that everybody's uh, shifting their focus from um, how we used to buy IT on demand and, and how we used to buy it in a very uh, stovepipe situation and, and within the agency start looking at, at our buying power and, and how we can commoditize it, how we can decouple those uh, um, infrastructures, how we can decouple the services from those applications yeah, and how really we change that. that dollar, yeah. you know, I mean, this consumption-based model is a lot different, just how you fund it, right? Yeah. The drawdown accounts and everyone's trying to get their head around that. AJ, how about at BMC, uh, lessons learned there as you're looking across the community and trying to help them manage these multi-cloud environments and hybrid environments. We're seeing a difference when it comes to the consumption of software to improve the usage of the cloud. Uh, what we're seeing is, you know, we've gone from people purchasing software and owning it on-prem to consuming SaaS so- solutions to be able to, you know, remove some of the le- uh, level of effort of that. But we're really seeing a shift to managed services, where the idea is we partner with our folks like Deloitte, uh, VVL Systems, and several other companies where. The idea is no longer do I purchase a solution, it's I need a solution that provides value to my organization and I just need it to work. I don't want to hire, have to hire people because people is always an issue. I just need a service that's going to function. Uh, so one of those managed services that we've seen uh, drive a lot of adoption lately is something that we call cloud cost control as a, as a solution and what we do is we put it in and we analyze assets that you currently have on-prem, we analyze assets that you currently host inside of AWS and Azure, and be able to provide you the ability to understand the cost of migrating assets, but also be able to understand costs that people don't look at a lot, such as network egress. How much is it going to cost me to move all this data to the cloud, but then I'm going to access terabytes of it on a daily basis and pull it back out of AWS? That's where the charges really start to tick up. And we're really helping a lot of our customers understand that and be able to handle that as they move forward to understand what truly belongs in a public cloud versus what needs to be hosted on-prem due to cost. Right, and be able to dial it back and forth. And I think once the barrier of entry to shift back and forth gets better and you can manage that better, I think these choices will be easier to be made.
Um, well, we're talking about cloud computing. We're going to talk about challenges next, but we're going to take a short break. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. New cloud technologies and directives are challenging tech strategies every day. Multi-cloud, native applications, and network transformation are redefining the future of effective cloud management. Deloitte helps you right-size your cloud to get maximum value today and stay ahead of what's to come. For more on how to successfully map your own individual cloud journey with a variety of options from Deloitte's cloud offerings for government and the public sector, visit Deloitte.com US slash Federal Cloud. The U.S. federal government is constantly working on ways to track, manage, and lower IT costs in the cloud. Visibility to application costs across both traditional data centers and public cloud infrastructures is key. Learn how BMC's TrueSight Cloud Cost Control can compare the costs of on-premises and multiple cloud platform providers and help determine which best fits your needs and budget at bmc.com slash public sector. That's bmc.com slash public sector. Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage makes storing data in the cloud not just an alternative, it makes it a priority. Revolutionary storage technology that's radically cheaper and faster than traditional options like Amazon S3 allows you to reallocate your data storage budget to other projects and initiatives. And you can do it knowing that your data is being stored with the highest security and protection available. Learn more and even see for yourself with a free trial at wasabi.com. That's wasabi.com. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. We're talking about cloud and defense and homeland security. With me on today's show are Frank Kinesny, U.S. Air Force, Shane Barney, USCIS, Travis Medvin with U.S. Navy, John Talon with Deloitte, A.J. Laforte with BMC Software, and Lori Davis with Wasabi Technologies. Uh, well, we're going to start talking about the challenges uh, that you're having and facing, and we're going to start with you, Travis, at U.S. Navy. Uh, what are some of the challenges that you're sort of seeing out there, forecasting, maybe some ways that you're going to deal with that? So I think some of the challenges that, that uh, we're, we're coming to grips with is uh, the amount of apps that we have in the Navy that are, uh, they're not documented in the sense of we don't know how they perform. So what we do know... We want a grand total there? I've, <laughs> I've, I've heard anywhere Stop from... counting, right? Yeah, yeah. 10,000 to as high as 45,000. It depends on who you ask at the moment. And how you define it. And right? how you yeah. define what sure. an application is. Um, but I think what the challenge is is when we start moving those applications that were designed for a box next to a person, how are those applications going to perform in the cloud, and how is our network going to support those applications that now reside in the cloud? I think that once we, we we've done a lot of paper analysis, but now we're actually getting to the the point where we have to start looking at what our data flows are, how that the, how that is going to impact the user experience in the cloud environment, um, and then. On top of that, how do we secure those applications and, and what's the right level of security for those applications and, and is, it the, is there a cost benefit that goes with it? I think that we, we've done a great job of, of the lift and shift mentality, but I think what, we're, what we really don't want to do is create data centers in the cloud. Sure. Um, we we want to actually take advantage of that and I think to, to get from the, 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 qual, the crawl, walk, run, you really have to start looking at the applications. You have to start looking at the value of the applications. But then you have to start going, well, it, does it make sense to move them in the cloud or do we come to grips with, 
we have to have a hybrid. And, and, and I think we're coming to grips with, we will have some sort of hybrid um, for, for the foreseeable future, just for the amount of data that we have and the amount of data we have to retain for right. ship, and, and ships that's okay. and things. You yeah. know, there's lots of emerging tools that are going to help you sort of manage that. But yeah, you don't want to take 20-year-old sins and just move them into a, a modern environment. Shane, how about at uh, CIS? Uh, give us some lessons learned as you're uh, working through these, uh, or excuse me, the challenges that you're working through in regards to uh, you know the early adoption and sort of the multi-cloud environment that you're working through? You know, I think the multi-cloud environment really is the next big challenge. Um, we have not really developed a good way to become cloud agnostic. Um, you know, you, you can talk about, oh yeah, we're going to deploy here, we're going to deploy there. But the problem is... I don't is think the, that's just USCIS, oh, by no, the way. No, I think no, everyone's a, dealing with that. Sure. commercial, private, public, every sector possible problem. Um, you know, what the services and technologies are available in Amazon versus Google versus Azure versus private, you know, they're all over, all over the space. And you can't just deploy an application to Amazon then pick it up and drop it into Google. It doesn't work. Um, you know, we can talk about secure cloud interconnects. We haven't developed good technologies around that. Um, you know, so I, I think the, really, the next big hurdle is to get there. Like I, I would love to be able to have a, a, a you know a, a, an application that's deployed where I'm no longer talking about which which provider is doing the clouding in the background. I'd rather be able to talk about oh this is a cloud-based environment. It's it's actually failing over to multiple cloud environments yeah. so that in case I lose my connections into Amazon or I lose my connection into Google, um, th that I'm still fine. You know life still goes on. No, nobody even notices. That's the ideal state. Now, getting there. There's some interesting challenges with that. Right. Um, you're going to talk pipeline. You're talking sure. all the all the technologies that we employ. I mean, we, we deploy applications with very spe very specific technologies in mind that aren't even available in some cloud providers. So how do we overcome those hurdles? Um, I, I think that's really one of the really big challenges. I know we're dealing with it right now. Um, I'll let you know if we figure out a solution. Yeah, well, I mean, I think eventually the technology will get better, right? It used to be hard just to move a phone from one carrier to another, a phone number, right? And uh, that's a simple example, but I think over time these things get better. Frank, how about at U.S. Air Force? Um, what, what are the, the challenges that you're seeing out there now? I think the big one is uh, everyone understanding that they have to move to the cloud to do resiliency. I mean, we have a little bit of a culture issue there, but I think we're, we're getting past the culture of saying well, I, they, don't, they don't understand or trust the cloud. And I think we're past that. Yeah, I agree. We're, but we're still into the I really have to do this. I have to really budget for this. I really have to understand it. Mm -hmm. I think that's been the problem space that we have right now, and that's the major challenge besides understanding you know, the SLAs for a managed service. I mean, people don't understand what they're getting when they go to a cloud. They think it's magic, they think they get everything, and when the bill comes in and it's double what they think, they can't understand why. Right. And that's a lot of, th a lot of the reasons is because when they actually moved the application, they didn't realize what they were doing. And a lot of it, you know, lift and shift never seemed to work. But, you know, even when we do true migration, sometimes, you know, they don't understand what they actually want. Sure, sure. John, how about at uh, Deloitte? Uh, can you give us a quick example of a challenge that you guys are seeing out there? Yeah, so I think two of the biggest hurdles for cloud adoption are really starting to come down in terms of security and the acquisition of cloud objects. And you know, people are starting to really focus on multi-cloud environments, and the government will have access to a lot of really good stuff across DoD and DHS. But they, you really need to think through how your organization is going to take advantage of all these platforms. And sometimes it is right to have an application that moves across, across different cloud environments in a container. But sometimes it really makes sense to go cloud native and use 
some of the thousands of features that the cloud service providers are putting onto their platform each year. So your application may be able to use the facial recognition software that just rides from the cloud service mm -hmm. provider on that. And in that case, it doesn't make sense to make that application cloud agnostic. And you've really got to think about the details of the platforms, the output of your mission, the longevity of the application. If your application is only going to last three months or six months or one year, maybe it does make a lot of sense to go very cloud native and yeah. use all the inherent a lot, features. A lot so of choices there uh, it's just that, a that you can make. Multi-dimensional problem there. That well, we like to solved. wrap it up with sort of a painting a, a picture of the future, not 20 years out, not even five years out. We're, we're looking at you know two and three at this point. Lori, let's start with you. What's it look like out there for Wasabi? What are, what are you seeing? Um, first, for the vision of the future, um, I think it's interesting. Everybody has such different experiences and different goals. I think the government agencies are first going to start looking at um, what's the purpose and the goal of moving to the cloud. Right? And you have to capitalize on that, right? If the goal is um, uh, reduce costs, right? You have to ensure that you are open to innovation and disruption. Right, that the government's going to realize, like Shane was saying, the cloud is like nothing anybody's ever encountered before. Um, how you buy it, how you use it, how you budget for it, capex, opex, right? The color of money. So I really see the government, um, the vision of the future, uh, changing the mindset of embracing why they're moving to the cloud and how to do it differently. Right, not buy a vendor and we're going to use them for 10 years, right? Things change constantly and there's going to be lots of disruption. And, and the ability to make those uh, quick decisions to, to pivot when it makes sense. Shane, what does the future look like for USCIS? Well, good thing my friends from Verizon are not here. They, want, they would want me to talk about going to the edge, so I'm not sold on that yet. Um, you know, for me, actually, I, I am, you know, in my position, especially as CISO, um, I'm really focused on, on workforce. Um, it is it is a huge hurdle for us right now. Um, not only just getting the good people, you know, but retaining them. Um, you know, I'm sitting at this table, and I'm sure some of these people who work for these other consulting companies, they probably were former federal employees, um, and and that 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 is something to be kind of, Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. It's, I'm not going to say we've never poached from them, but you know, we need to figure out a better way of managing our federal workforce that deals with these issues, especially on the cyber side. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of focus being placed on it by OPM. There's a lot of focus being placed on D by DHS in itself. Um, but we've got to do more. You know, we, we've got to, if we're going to accelerate the pace in which we want to go to the cloud, we've also got to accelerate the pace in which we enable our people to employ the people that are going to help us get there and do it securely and in the best fashion you know, possible. I've already lost some really great people right. to, to it, and I can't keep losing them, you know, over simple things as salary. I mean, I know that sounds silly, but it's really a big deal. Um, we're, we're kind of in a we're, we're kind of in a 1950s mentality dealing with something that's very, very advanced um, and something the government has never really faced in this sort of huge way, in, in a very accelerated way. Right, and an interesting catch on when you make those cha uh, choices about multi-cloud that you have to, you know, have a skill set and a, a capacity for each one of those because uh, not all clouds are the same. John, how about over at Deloitte? What are you seeing there as far as what does it look like over the horizon there for uh, for Deloitte? Yeah, so I think one thing for the that the government needs to be prepared for and our clients need to be prepared for is when the technology is not enduring. So a lot of programs run for a long period of time and have a specific outcome, but with the cloud, you could have systems and applications that last for minutes 
you'll get a specific challenge that you need to go solve. You'll be able to go to a marketplace, spin up a cloud instance to put some data in, run an analytic against it, and then get rid of that system. And how do you craft your organization from a technical standpoint, from an acquisition standpoint, and from a workforce standpoint, and just culturally to live with applications that last for three days versus 30 years? And you know, how do we, you know, create the culture that's not afraid to start starting these applications, ending them, and having things be a lot more flexible than they were, you know, three months ago or five years ago. And scale up and scale down, sort of tear down uh, quickly. AJ, how about at BMC? What is the, uh, what's the future look like in regards to uh, what you guys are forecasting we're out there? We're going to see an expansion of, of providing solutions as a service and providing them as a managed service to, to our, cons our customers. We're also going to, one nice thing about the way that we play is we're a platform agnostic vendor. Whether you want to use AWS, Azure, or Google, it's your choice. And there's different benefits and values out of each every single one of those. So you have the ability to be able to have that flexibility is really what BMC is going to give to our customers. You're going to have a hybrid cloud. There, there's no way you can invest solely in AWS or solely in Azure. There, there's value out of every single one of those. We know Google's leading the way when it comes to artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. AWS has cheaper uh, compute than, than Azure right now. But there's limitations in the federal cloud that we're not paying attention to with the startup and start down. Um, if we look at, for example, I have one of our customers in the DOD, they have issues when they want to spin up, let's say, an M4 large in the morning and turn it off at night, that may not be available because somebody else in the DOD is already taking it up. So there's limitations, actually, to the space available inside of these cloud providers. And we need to make sure we pay attention to that as we look at our vision going forward to ensure that we're investing um, DOD assets into cloud providers that have the 100% flexibility to spin up and spin down and truly manage the costs that the customers want to see. Yeah, and I think just having that instrumentation to be able to do that so you know what kind of uh, you know, uh, outcome is to some of those choices you're going to make uh, is going to be really important. Travis, what do you see over at U.S. Navy? What's the future looking like in regards to... Uh, so Shane wouldn't you know. go to the edge, so I, 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 I'm going to take it. So I, I, I envision in the next two years we're going to be at tactical edge computing on, on shipboard environments, which is bringing the cloud to the ship. Um, and, I, and I think that we are, we are poised to have a software factory that is going to help um, minimize the variance between enterprise business systems and, and ship-based systems. Um, and I think we are going to, to have to start challenging what we consider inherently governmental responsibilities when it comes to some of the security features. I'm not saying that we need to turn the keys over to the castle, but we need to, to come to, to realization that we're not going to be able to, to get the workforce and keep the workforce in some, base, in some cases, primarily in the security aspect. So what are those responsibilities or what are those automations that we can start turning over to industry and allow us to focus where we can keep those core business sets? Yeah, and I, I know the, the sort of familiar with some of the Kessel Run story there where it was, uh, uh, was pretty impressive how, uh, you know, the Air Force actually trained the airmen to code. Right, and so it was sort of a different way, a different response to sort of dealing with the industrial base. I thought that was kind of fascinating. Is the Navy thinking about that? I heard you talk about, you know, you've you've gone over there and talked to those guys as to 
Uh, will we see, uh, you know, I, I think sailors coding, or they probably already are? I, I think you will, but I think the challenge that we have is is we keep asking them to do more with less. So if we, if we look at the shipboard environment, we used to have between 50 on an aircraft carriers, 15 and 75 administrators. Because of how we have went with um, uh, virtualization, we're punch trunk on virtualization, and how we started to decouple that, the training hasn't caught up, and now there's somewhere between 17 to 25 administrators, which used to do the job of 50. Wow. But we're not getting that. The, the training's not catching up to them. We're not able to uh, inve- invest in them early enough to get them into the, the coding skills because of a deployment cycle, be- because of how the Navy is, is looking at those folks. So we have to, to, to look for those opportunities to bring industry in to help make it a partnership mm-hmm. um, and, and expand on where we can with the sailors. But I think that we really have to, to, to create this partnership with industry to fill some of those voids in the next few years. Frank, take us home. What is, uh, what's the future look like in regards to uh, where the Air Force sits? You're sort of blazing a trail out there for the right. community. Well, I have to say, we're all mission focused. And so you have to determine what do you mean by that? What resiliency right. and what- That's what Kessel Run was all about. That's what right? Kessel Run is all about. How to be adaptive, how to be quick. And I think that's what you're going to see going forward is how to be adaptive quick, even at the edge, because a lot of these applications are going to be at the edge. They're going to be in a mobile environment. They're going to have, we're moving things out that way because we want to be able to actually do maintenance at the flight line as opposed to maintenance in you know the depots. So you're going to have to have these capabilities out there all the time. So I think what we're trying to do now is we're saying, okay, what innovative things do we have to do to move everything to where the airman actually needs it? Increasing mission, increasing resiliency, which means, you know, we want an ubiquitous cloud environment. That, now, it's difficult to say because we want to do this, but we may go to one cloud, but we want to go to another cloud. We have to decide what is the best cloud, and we may have to move things. And the data is going to be a big deal because we, as we go down this path, you know, the question is, where do you keep the data? This is always the key. And how much data do you keep? I mean, for AI, for ML, you have to have enough data to do some stuff, but you're going to actually deploy the uh, the system actually to the field at that point in time. You know, you're not going to be able to actually go back to the computer environment, the mainframe and everything else, or the cloud, to actually get the information that you need. So you're going to have to move things out farther and farther to the edge. This is getting back to this edge issue, and I'm sure you'll have storage, uh, you know, uh, uh, creations in regards to that as well, right? If you're going to do, you know, real, true machine learning and AI on the edge there, I mean, that takes a lot of data, and you're going to have to right. have a lot of uh, emerging right. technology to deal with and that. And so the neural nets you push out are going to be based on everything you've done in the cloud environment. And you have to understand that, and you can't just move the cloud. And you can't, for mission-wise, you cannot determine, and you can't have to depend upon a connection always being there. Right, right. I mean, we're we're living in a connection in, uh, connectionless environment, uh, so to speak. Uh, well, listen, this has been a fascinating subject, and uh, it's a fast-moving one. I look forward to the next round. We could speak all week about it, but uh, we'll wait till next time and check in again in a few months. Um, uh, so I'd like to close it out and say thank you to the guests for taking the time from their busy schedules to join us for this program. I'd like to thank our sponsors for Without We Don't Have a Show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Radio that make our program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank you, the listening audience out there that tune in every month. You've been listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. 
Thank you for listening to the 2018 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 13 years. This show was produced by the Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion, listen in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.